Welcome back to another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. Today, we had the pleasure of reconnecting with our old friend, John Small, and John was our year at Cornell. And Michelle, you knew him better than I did, but he has gone on to do some really interesting and very current work in the financial industry. Yeah. And it's amazing. His story is great because he went in thinking he was going to do one thing and he did another and had tremendous success. And along the way, did not lose his great sense of humor and fun personality that I remember from all those years ago. So you're going to hear his great story right after we roll the intro. Today, we have John Cotesmall on our show, which we are very excited about. And we have been trying to get him on here for several weeks. He's a very busy person. In the financial world, he is a problem solver. He is a hired gun. His job changes all the time. Sometimes he holds several jobs at once. And we are going to hear all about that. But I want to focus in the early part of this interview on the fact that he was my very first formal date. little fun That's fact right. for all the listeners. Very first Cornell formal date. I was a gentleman though. I was a gentleman. Like, let's, let's get that, let's get that out of the way early. <laughs> Cause that may not always be the case with formal dates. That's you true. Know, but you were a gentleman. Let, let's slide me over to that side of the scale. Okay. Early. How about that? You are slidden. Is that a word? It is now. And you were a great date. We had the best time. I remember that formal date so fondly. So we're going to talk about all of that and more, but welcome to the show, John. We are so happy that you're here. Thank you for having me. I, I love the concept of thank you, Cornell, and uh, talking about all things Cornell. And I was very excited to uh, be able to uh, get on your schedule. So thank you very much. So John, I just found out before this interview, I knew John obviously from Cornell, but that we grew up in the same town in Rockville, Maryland. So I had no idea. That's correct. So- yeah. All right. So I know how a girl from Rockville ended up at Cornell. How did a, a kid from Magruder High School in Rockville end up at Cornell? You know, I, I had the aspirations of playing college level football. And you guys know me. I'm not physically able to play college level football. <laughs> True. I, I did not have the physical attributes to play real college football, you know, at Division One. And so the coaches early on told me that, uh, you know, my best bet would be to talk to the Ivy Leagues. Luckily enough, I also had been to have grades that would that would be sufficient and work for that and actually the college coaches didn't like me they didn't they didn't I wasn't big enough for the positions I played mm. but I started exploring the Ivy League schools because of football and trying to continue my football career it turned out that I actually you know didn't get recruited and went to Cornell because of the whole thing but that's how it all started it was a sort of a weird circuitous way of getting there yeah. You know, my, my parents both went to Queens College. My parents had no idea how to get anyone into college, what what the competitive situation was. I, we learned it all. And I was the oldest of, of, our, of my siblings. And we had to learn as we went along. And frankly, you know, it, it's kind of somewhat of a miracle, to be honest, that I actually <laughs> got into an Ivy League school because you know, I, I didn't know how to do it. I, you know, I didn't even know I wanted to at the time. So that's incredible. Obviously, you got in and, and you did great there. I know that for sure. Did you think about maybe trying to walk on on the football team? I did, actually. I walked on the freshman team. Wow. And after two concussions, a broken thumb, oh, a dislocated oh, shoulder later, I realized that was a mistake. But I did meet some great people and I had a lot of fun. I was not very good at all. All right. I, I learned my lesson that, you know, the coaches were right. I know I didn't have it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just didn't. Yeah. Well, you had enough to walk on, which is like next to impossible. Well, they'll take anybody. Let's no. Like, you know, if they, they, they need tackling dummies, they need people like me <laughs> get beat up every day in practice. <laughs> let's, let's not let our listeners be under any illusion that I, I was terrible. Are you our year class of 90? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So we all started at the same time. So did the football career end after freshman year? Oh, yes. It's it. Okay. Yes, quite. All right. Did you have to be on campus early to play? Yes. Yeah. So you came before the rest of the freshmen for the most part? Yeah, a couple, a couple weeks early, yes. And where did you live? So I was in U Hall 5, so I just actually got in a, a, like a few. It was literally a week or two early. It wasn't, wasn't like a tremendous early commitment. And what was your freshman year like, John? Were you social? Were you in the books? What were you doing? You know, my whole life sort of changed. Like I, I was wanted to be a computer engineer. I wanted to play football. I, you know, I had been, my dad worked at IBM. He worked for the defense contractor side of IBM, but we had had a computer in my, our house as long as I can remember, you know, I, so I knew how to program. I, I knew what computers did, you know, back, you know, in middle school, but then I got to Cornell and everybody was so much smarter than I was. They knew so much more about programming. And I, I literally had to give up on that. And then I thought I was the greatest football player that ever lived. And I had to give up on that. Rude awakening. It was. Two dreams crushed. I had all these misconceptions, right, about what I was going to do and, and how my life would turn out. And they all had to change. But luckily, I just, I met some unbelievably amazing people that I'm still friendly with today. And so literally people that I met, you know, within days of getting to Cornell are, are my best friends today. Really? So in that regard, while I had dreams dashed upon the rocks, I uh, made lifelong friends very quickly. So. And so that was your first semester. Second semester, I know you rushed. Did you rush with those same friends? Not really. One of them, yes. I, I did. We did end up in the same fraternity, Tom. Um, oh, yeah. I ended up in the same fraternity. Another one of my friends, Matthew, who I met the first year on my floor at Cornell, he joined a different fraternity. And then when I picked which fraternity that I wanted to join, you know, I met so many more friends that are still my friends, right? They're, they're my best friends today, um, yeah. bar none. And uh, I, it's, it's kind of amazing that it, it worked out that way. Yeah. Well, you had a great fraternity in general, but your pledge class was incredible because our sorority partied with you guys all the time. Absolutely. And it was amazing. You had just a great group of guys. So I can understand that. Yeah. Now some of my fondest memories, believe it or not, are having breakfast with my fraternity members at your sorority's house the next in the morning. So funny. Those were some of like the, the funniest mornings of my life. When you look back on your Greek experience, was that what you hoped? Did you get out of it what you hoped you'd get out of it? Absolutely. What they're selling is, you know, friendship and camaraderie and social life that, you know, allows you to be better yourself and meet amazing people, both in the fraternity as well as in the system. And, and they delivered in spades. And I hope I, I hope I helped. But you know, they delivered to me much more than I could have expected. So that was the fraternity side. So what your dreams were dashed on the computer side. <laughs> what did you end up majoring in? What school were you in? What did you study? I was in the arts and sciences school and mm-hmm. I had planned to move to the engineering school for computer engineering, which I didn't move. I stayed in the arts and sciences school and I ended up majoring in economics. I took a lot of courses at the ag school for business. I took some courses at the hotel school. I was definitely one of those students that took advantage of the classes in every school 
and just barely got enough credits to get like an arts and sciences degree, right? Because I was interested in business and interested in things like that. They were more theoretical in arts and science and more practical knowledge and more interesting stuff outside of the arts and sciences and business. There was plenty of great economic courses. They were much more theoretical as opposed to project-based, et cetera. And so at what point did you see your life going towards the financial world? Pretty early, I discovered Wall Street, discovered what it did and how it worked and how much money people made and the competitiveness of it, right? Like, I think part of what I really loved about football and what I love about sports still today is, is the visceral competitiveness, you know, that competition on a level playing field to be able to go out and put forth effort and strategy and, and training and, and everything that goes into it and, and come out victorious or not. It's, a, it's an environment that you know when you win, you know when you lose. Uh, whereas a lot of places on earth, a lot of jobs nowadays, people don't know if they're winning or losing. They have no idea. That appeals to you. I like knowing where I am. When I worked at a hedge fund, I, my annual paycheck was literally calculated by the second on my screen. Wow. While I was at work. Like, this is how much money you will make stressful. or not. Oh, that depending is Depending on how stocks went. And that's how I lived for, you know, 12 years when I managed money. And I like that, though. Did you have a list of things you crossed out as the market dipped? For example, trip to Cancun, off. Brooks Brothers (laughs) suits, no. (laughs) Did you have a list? Absolutely. I mean, there there are there there are plenty of times I actually threw up at my desk. You know, so I I, uh, I could never live that way. I I need a paycheck. I. I need a steady paycheck. Are you a poker player? Yes. Yes, I had a feeling. Are you? You're probably a good poker He's player. He's a very good what's poker happening? player. There's a what's, tattoo. That's my ace of spades. <gasps> ace my of sleeve. spades on the arm. Up Did you draw sleeve. that pre-show or is that a tattoo? <laughs> is that permanent? No, that's a real tattoo, yes. Wow. wow. He's, he's okay. serious. I yeah. had a feeling. Okay. Do you play competitively or you play with a bunch of guys drinking beers? I, I'm actually not that good. I'm like, really? I want, I, I'm too emotional. I, I give away ah. my shit with my, my emotions. Yep. I just... I can't like, so in an amateur game, I'm excellent, right? When it comes to the numbers, calculating the odds, reading other people, like I'm great. But when I go up against real poker players, I give away too much. You know, these days, actually, I I actually, every, I haven't gambled in years. Um, Oh, we were sort of hoping for a better story there, John. Yeah. Yeah. I play craps till 4 a.m. Right. Dating a showgirl, something. Right. I sat next to Pele. Well, I have stories like that, but I don't gamble. So I I haven't gambled in years because the bottom line is I don't win very much. And I hate losing way more than I like winning. Yes, that's fair. Okay, fair enough. That's healthy. All right, so tell us. So now you piqued our curiosity with the job. You came out of Cornell. What did you do? So believe it or not, I went to go work for my first job out of Cornell is I went to go work for a startup computer company. So I've worked for small companies my entire career, like startups, tiny companies. The biggest company I think I've ever worked for was Morgan Stanley, which is still a relatively small company. Even back then, it was really small. Um, So I worked for a startup computer company and in being a salesperson, and I wasn't very good at it because frankly, if people said no, I was like, well, you're an idiot. Um, (laughs) Talk to somebody else. I'm making perfect sense. Why, Why aren't you saying yes? Are you selling computers? I was selling computers. Like I was, we were trying to be the next Dell. I wasn't good at it. And so 
also at the time when we graduated in 90, Wall Street was on a downturn. So there were no jobs on Wall Street. You know, I went to Wall Street, you know, a year, year and a half later. And my first job was making $18,000 a year in equity research at Dillon Reed. And so I learned how that research department happens, you know, how people research stocks, how about how they analyze them, what were the methodologies, right? Two funny stories about that. One, my worst grade at Cornell was in something called asset management, which is what I ended up doing from my career. I, yeah. Hopefully your clients are not listening. <laughs> well, I don't have clients anymore. So oh, good. So it's water under the bridge. Yes, exactly. And then two, because I was uh, researching biotech stocks, my dad actually has multiple sclerosis. And I was able to get him into an early study trial. Wow. I mean, Regeneron's drug was in clinical trials. And I was able to get him into the trial um, because I worked there. So wow, Worley was uh, a great place to start, for sure. So I worked there. Then I moved to Morgan Stanley, still on the sell side. Um, and then in 1996, I transitioned to the buy side. I started working for my first hedge fund. And I was lucky enough that I've always worked for great people that have taught me how to do things, taken me under the wing, showed me how to be better, showed me what is expected. So I, I worked for a few hedge funds and for some great people who uh, still are in contact and still talk to today. So John, has your entire career been in New York or have you lived elsewhere? It was in New York. I spent a year in San Francisco. I, I worked for a, a digital media company for a year. I lived for three years in San Diego, when I was trying to uh, create a uh, virtual reality company, I lived in Denver for a year. Oh, wow. So you've bounced around. Yeah. I just moved to Puerto Rico in December. So I live in San Juan, Puerto Rico now. You're in Puerto Rico now? Right now, yes. Oh, I had no idea. You know, now you are involved in fascinating and many different kinds of businesses. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. In partnership with my main boss partner, he's a Silicon Valley veteran. He's started many companies, taking them public on the exchanges and has a PhD in distributed computing. So he's always been involved in, in everything technology-wise. He started into the Bitcoin blockchain area a number of years ago. He started recognizing the value of, block, of the blockchain technology, which is different from the cryptocurrencies that are out there. You have to remember that there's two different worlds. There's, there's those cryptocurrencies that are out there. There's, I don't know, 15,000, 20,000 different coins out there. But there is this technology called blockchain that actually has tremendous uh, use cases for everyday life that was going to change how people operate in the world. So he was an early proponent of that. So I work with him on a, with a company that's called Monsoon Blockchain. We help people realize the value of blockchain in a number of different ways. We've launched our own cryptocurrency. So as part of that same team, we actually have a cryptocurrency that trades in the market today. What's that called? That one is called Bitcoin Latinum. Uh, the ticker is LTNM. We took the Bitcoin code and we ch made some changes as because we made it more green we made it faster. We made it less expensive to use. And so that we made those changes from the Bitcoin code and created Latinum. So we are, it's a really a fork of Bitcoin. So I, so I do that, but I'm also like, in order for the network to actually function that way, you have to have Bitcoin mining companies, right? I'm in the COO of Big Watt Digital, which is a Bitcoin mining company, renewable energy only. We actually set up the network, set up the computers that calculate the nodes for Bitcoin, blockchain and, and blockchain services will only be bigger in the future. And that's obviously my opinion. And there's going to be plenty of opportunities for companies that, that are trying to bring this to more and more people. 
Well, John, given your expertise, we were wondering if you would give our listeners some free advice. Yeah. Okay. Would you mind? We, we just have a couple of questions that just the listeners might want to know. Yeah. I'll try. I'm not guaranteeing anything. All right. These are very simple. You, these are like one word, like true or false, yes or no, just your expert opinion. Okay. Yes or no. Is it a good idea to open a 529 plan for my child's college education? I would say no. No. I would never okay. do it. I believe that I would make better return with the money than the, the people that are managing the money within the plan. Okay. Have you ever heard of a 401k? Yes. Is it important to trust your banker? No, it's never trust your banker. Is it important by the time you're in your 50s to have a balanced portfolio? No, you need a barbell approach. All right. In your expert opinion, which is riskier, Bitcoin or running down live slope in high heels? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely running down live slope in high heels. Okay. Which one is riskier, Bitcoin or ordering a bow burger at the straight with 10 substitutions during the lunch rush. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a tough one. You're definitely not getting what you ordered. So, um, so I'd have to say that's more risky because you definitely, right. you know, you're never going to get what you ordered. You All right. So, so far, Bitcoin seems to be the safe bet. All right. Yeah. Well, what about this? Bitcoin. <laughs> Or licking the floor of Pika after an MNDC, which for our listeners was a Monday night drinking club. Yeah, that, that is way more risky than Bitcoin. That, that will kill you. All right. So Bitcoin sounds very safe. Okay. Well, relative to, relative to what you've offered so far, yes. All right. I'm feeling good about it. Let's try this one. What's riskier, Bitcoin or shouting lacrosse sucks at Johnny's on a Friday night? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think Bitcoin's more riskier than that. <laughs> the lacrosse players were probably playing lacrosse, so therefore it was just oh. engineering students. So ah, loophole. That's <laughs> I a loophole. Ch- I could take them. I could okay. Take them. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to go buy some Bitcoin. It doesn't sound like so risky. It sounds like a safe bet. I am thinking about selling my house and only buying Bitcoin. Yeah. Is that a good I'm idea? I'm going to live in a house made of Bitcoins. All right. Well, that's a good segue into our speed run. And thank you for your advice. I don't know if I gave you any real advice there. (laughs) We'll we'll put a disclaimer in the show notes. (laughs) This is not real advice by John Cota Small. (laughs) Let's go through some of our speed round questions because I feel like we didn't get into the meat of your Cornell experience. So let's do that. Okay. We know you lived on West Campus. What was your favorite either freshman year or in general, what was your favorite on campus and off campus dining? And please don't say pica, because there's no way you enjoyed eating there. (laughs) I loved Hal's Deli off campus. Oh, I remember Hal's. On campus, definitely the straight. I I, I had lunch there every day. What's your favorite bar? Rulos. How about favorite place to study? My room. Really? If I wanted to study, I stayed in my room, because nobody was there. Everybody was at the library. Favorite class or favorite professor? Oh my God. I wish I could remember his name, but like I took a, I took a class it was a business, like intro to business at the ag school. This professor was amazing. He got the whole class into the thing. He actually came to a few Monday night drinking clubs. He was an unbelievable professor. He made business much more exciting than it really is. I'm, I can't, oh, it's so sad that I can't remember his name. He was phenomenal. Was he your favorite professor? And was that also your favorite class? Or did you have a different favorite class? No, it was definitely my favorite class. He, was, he ended up being my favorite professor. 
Do you have a favorite memory of Cornell, like a great day that you spent there? The fraternity would have these parties at the end of the uh, at the end of classes where we would do a pig roast. You know, it would be the night before we'd roast the pig, and I'd stay up all night as part of that team, and we'd play cards all night. Then we'd have an amazing party the next day. Those were always my favorite days. Second to that would be uh, with Howie and Jeff and Tom. We would make wings for the Super Bowl. And so we would have to get up early and, and make uh, literally like 120 pounds of wings for the fraternity house. And let me tell you something, we, I've never been more inebriated than on those days. So those were also <laughs> great days. Those are my favorite memories. Is there a song, John, that just takes you right back to the Pika dance floor? <laughs> yeah, it takes two. Oh, yes. Oh, it takes two to make a thing go right. Yes. 100%. Oh, you just took us back there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, that brings me right back to the Pika dance floor. No doubt. Um, outside of my behavior at the spring formal, did you have an embarrassing <laughs> moment? <laughs> I had plenty of embarrassing moments. I, I was, I have no end of embarrassing moments. I mean, that's, yeah, some of them are too embarrassing. <laughs> I, I don't want on here, but one of them was when I never had done my, my, my mom is hundred percent Italian. You know, she did my laundry for years past the time I graduated, but at some point you have to do your own laundry when you're at school. Right. And yeah. I didn't know how to do laundry. I had no fucking clue. I had to ask people how to do laundry. And I, it was so embarrassing. It was terrible. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. What do I do? What do I buy? I'm sure you were not alone in that. No. Yeah. I felt alone. I'll tell you that. John, do you have college age kids? I do. I have two that have graduated college and I have two that are in college right now. Oh, wow. Okay. So what was your best dad advice for any one of your children? My advice was to go to the biggest school in the best weather and work hard. How about advice that you'd give a senior that just graduated, let's say, or, or next year, the senior that's just starting out? So many times people think, oh, I graduated college. I know what I'm doing. Like, you don't. You, know, you need to be coachable. You need to be curious. You need to learn every day. You, you need to understand what your boss, your boss's boss, you know, what the team is trying to accomplish and how you can help and deliver value at all times. Like so many people think they understand exactly what they need to do. And, and some of them do. Some of them, if you're, you know, uh, even if you're a coder, right? Like you want to code the whole thing, but they give you like this little tiny piece of it, right? You know, do that piece really well. Do it fast. Do it efficient. Do it better than, than they're expected. Always try to deliver above expectations. That's the advice. I love that advice of understanding how that small contribution works its way up and how that's valuable. Otherwise, they wouldn't tell you to do it. If it didn't yeah. wasn't valuable, they wouldn't tell you to do it. So understand that they're not giving you shit work, not paying you to do nothing. Like it's important. Do it really well. Do it fast. Do it better than they expect. And then, you know, they'll give you more to do. And then you'll actually really like what you're doing. It's great advice. Yeah. So John, I know you're a busy guy, but tell us, sometimes we, we ask our guests to give our listeners what they're into these days, any podcasts or binge watching or books or anything. What, what do you want to shout out to? I listen to books. I don't read. I, I, I spend too much time in front of the computer, so I don't have my eyes okay. just can't deal with reading. So I listen to books. Yeah. Um, I just read a great book by Nassim Taleb called Anti-Fragile. I highly recommend that. I just been watched the entire season of The Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix. Oh, Michelle's watching that. It was so good. Like I, I've read, I've well, I haven't read, I've listened to all of the Harry Bosch 
and all of those books written by Michael Connolly, whether it be the Lincoln Lawyer books or Harry Bosch books, I've listened to every one of them. And so I was, I'm a huge fan of that. And yeah. I, I, that was great. Yes. And I, I like this crazy show that I'm having a hard time finding the second season, but called Rake. Um, we forgot to ask you this. Were you a hot truck guy? And what did you get? I am embarrassed to say that I am not a hot truck guy. Oh, God. Okay. I thought you were going to say like, oh, I get the fruit salad. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just, I don't, I, I just ordered regular pizza. I never understood the crowd. Yeah. I don't like the concept of waiting in line a long time for a pizza that I could get delivered to. Me. Oh, John. Just pizza. No, no, no. No. Like I've had I'm hot sorry. truck. Don't get me wrong. And when I had, and then pledges would bring me hot truck when I was in the fraternity, right? That all happened. I'm not saying I've never had it and I don't enjoy it. I'm just saying me going to the hot truck and waiting was not, was not on my agenda. Okay. Right? Well, that's why pledges were important because yes. that took that aspect out of it, right? Exactly. And, and by the way, the first time I went, I got into a fight at the line. So Okay. Well, okay. my, my tall friend, Chris, was there with me. He can vouch. It was, it was not a, it was somebody was picking on my, my roommate, Roger, that I spoke of earlier. Mm. And I was not having any of it. Oh, so. well, that's admirable. That's an admirable hot truck fight. Trouble at the yeah. hot truck. Yeah, they're more used to seeing drunken brawls. So that was noble. Yeah, no, this this was a whole, well, it, this guy was trying to make it a drunken brawl and he got the wrong end of that. <laughs> Good for you. It's a lot to be proud of. I don't know about that, but. As you think back on your Cornell experience, what are you most thankful for? The, the people I met, without a doubt. Like, uh, you know, look, college to me, in my opinion, is all about what you make out of it in terms of the studies, right? You can take all the easy classes and just get the degree and then, you know, do whatever you want to do. Or you can go be curious and learn various things and, and figure out what you want to do and, and what you enjoy, right? Everybody does that. They take that journey and at their own pace. But I was lucky enough to meet amazing people along the way. And, and that's what I'm most grateful for. And you were so loved at that school and in your fraternity. Everybody loved you. And, and we see why. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yeah, well, it's absolutely true. And I wish we had more time to talk about the specifics of your career and how you, you know, move so quickly through. And we know you're doing giant things. We appreciate your time. It was so great to see you and reconnect great after to see all you this guys. time. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Thank you guys so much. Great to see you again. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. 